Okay, here we are on uh, the uh, 11th of September, 2014, talking about Great North Road from Peter Hamilton. And uh, we can go around and people can give their general impressions. Uh, I'll just give mine since I have the mic here. Uh, I'll just say I thought it was a great book, or I have a couple of... Uh, things, minor things that I'll get into, I'll mention, but I don't want to go off on a tangent. So I'll just say overall, it was a great book. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, Lissy liked it, and she'll talk about a couple things that bugged her, but uh, she liked it overall as well. I'll go next, I guess. I thought it was good, basically. It was a little long, and he did, I found that he had a lot of... um, different subplots, which made it hard to remember everything that was going on. When he would get to a very interesting or exciting moment, then he would jump back and forth, and that might be considered to be the skill of an author, but I found it a little bit um, disconcerting trying to remember everything. But uh, and, and the length of it was a little daunting, but generally it was very good. It really gave a lot to think about. You know, It really had, as they say, that a real detective mystery thing, and at the same time we had um, views of a different planet or a couple planets and, and an alien who turned out to be a real alien and a real uh, advanced species. So in general, I thought it was a very good book. Now, this is Sherry. I liked it a lot, too. I had read it a while ago, so I had to go back and skim through a bit to refresh my memory. I don't know why, but books don't tend to stick with me as well as they should. Um, I, I I really liked the end, how Angela, you know, was there at the end with her descendants and stuff. And there were a lot of things I liked about it. And I didn't mind the length. I like tend to like long books, though. Well, I lost patience with it after about 10 hours. And it got up to about February the 7th. And I just said, oh, how long is this thing? And I ended up skipping to the last, I'd say about the last four hours. And there was a lot that I didn't know about because it explained in the middle of the book, but I just wanted to see how it ended. And I suspected it kind of would end the way that it did because in the beginning, I think it was Angela, her name, I've forgotten all the characters' names because <laughs> I've read so much other stuff since then, that she was not um, the criminal. Um, and uh, I kind of figured, well, maybe the criminal wasn't wasn't a human after all. And it turned out I was right, as far as I could tell at the end. So I probably read at the most about 14 hours of it. But that was enough. I figured I'd had enough of it. So I went on to other stuff. Well, I thought it was an okay book. I agree it was a little long. In fact, maybe too, way too long. Um, I thought I'd figured out the mystery and then said, well, maybe that it's, uh, oh, now I've forgotten her name, Angelica or Angel or whatever her name was. Um, I kind of wondered if maybe she was psychotic or something and had killed these guys and was just dreaming about the alien. But then I, I changed my mind again later. I did enjoy the part about the army trying to get through, get off off the planet and getting killed. Um, and kind of the idea that a, an, an organism or 
society or whatever you want to call the way the pla- the planet was uh, was interesting. Um, and I noticed that the uh, hackers had managed to again defeat all the security stuff so they could do pretty much what they wanted to when they wanted to. So I think it was an okay book, but I I do think it was a little long. Well, here's my deal. I love the book. My problem was, though, that, like, they didn't, when he got, or when the author told some details, he didn't go into them. For instance, most of them he did, but, like, oh, for instance, <clears throat> Angela and Saul. Um... He didn't, oh wait, maybe he did. Yeah, maybe, yeah, he did, he did, okay. Um, I did like the book. It. I, the subplots were, he, I don't know, I think he could have wrote them a little bit better, because as you guys know, he would go into to the plot, then he would go back in time and tell about, you know, their lives and stuff like that. And um, I think that could have been handled a little bit better. Um, I did not expect it to end the way it did. I love the ending where Angela was with her descendants. That was kind of cool. I did not expect um, the whole alien-human thing. And I kept going back and forth about Angela being the criminal or not. I mean, at one point, I would get to a point where, okay, she's definitely not, definitely not, no, no, no. But then I'd be like, well, is she? Um, But all in all, I thought it was a great book. Um, Peter Hamilton is just a great writer. I really enjoyed the book, too. Um, This is the first book by him I've ever read, and I was absolutely dumbfounded by how well he juggled all of that material. I mean, think about it. There were 33 hours, I believe, in that book, or maybe it was more than that. Maybe it was something else I read that was 33. Um, This has been my month for long books. Um, But the way that he handled all of those different threads and brought them all together in such an absolutely fabulous way just impressed the heck out of me. I think there were some weaknesses to the book. We'll talk about those later if you want to. But um, but I'm ready to find something else by him because I can't believe how well he did that. I really enjoyed the book, and uh, I liked the way he wove all the different parts into it. I'd like to find something else by him also. Well, before we go on, I want to just uh, say hello to David and Bob. Um, David and I, if this is the same David, I presume it is, uh, we've been corresponding by email a little bit, um, so I'm glad that uh, you were able to make it. A um, couple of things. I liked the ending also with Angela. Lucy thought that it was a bit too far ahead. He could have left that out, she thought. I thought it was a good part, and she's still talking to my mom, so... Um, but um, I thought that um, it was interesting to see how when you see somebody's actions in isolation, you can jump to a conclusion 
that may not be the right conclusion. Because when we see Angela uh, pulling the scam on the North, and we see her being really angry and stuff when she gets out of prison, then we get to the end of the book, and she marries Saul, and she has that daughter, and we see why she was pulling the scam on the North. It puts a completely different complexion on her motives and her behavior that you know, we didn't think about too much at the time. We were, you know, we were kind of judging her as being really just kind of a, out for herself, and you know, and uh, she was a bit. I mean, she had, she was brought up in a kind of a shallow environment, but she really grew out of it, and she really grew up. She kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Melanie, not the same way Mel, from uh, you guys who want something else by him. Go and get Pandora Star and Judas Unchained. They're actually a bit longer than Great North Road, but they were a big hit last year at the club. Those, I think most of you who were here then will remember that. Uh, that's uh, two books that he put uh, out uh, about seven, eight, ten years ago, I guess. I forget. Um, and they're both a bit longer, but they're uh, a duology. They're one of those, uh, Judas Unchained is a direct sequel to Pandora's Star. But anyway, uh, and they're both on Bard and on Bookshare. And, um, but anyway, she, uh, w uh, when we figure out why she was robbing the Norths was to save her daughter, that could put a completely different complexion on her behavior at the time. And it really, you know, it, he really, uh, that was, that was a great, uh, twist to the book. Um, I think he dragged out the, uh, uh, I know Lissy thought he dragged out the murders a little bit too much while they were trying to travel from, or, you know, when the company was there, the expedition on St. Lieber, and he's killing people one at a time, and then they're traveling, and he's killing them one at a time again, and, you know, that went on and on, and um, so, um, but uh, anyway... Um, so you guys go get those books, and of course uh, there's the Void Trilogy, which you could get after Pandora Star and Judas Unchained, because they're, uh, a they take place after that, um, and we can talk about those too. So he's got a lot more stuff out there that you can read. I second Evan's recommendation, Judas Unchained and, and Pandora, well, Pandora Star comes first, and then the Void Trilogy, those are great. I must say I started reading the Night's Dawn trilogy, though, and, and really hated it, and I can talk about that at another time. As far as this book goes, the one thing I, I found annoying was uh, Peter F. Hamilton seems to throw these male characters in all the time as Ian. I didn't really like Ian at all. I find these men who, who sleep with any woman they come across to be just tiresome. I don't find them charming or, you know, lovable in any way. And uh, Ian, in particular, was using his police connections to spy on women and manipulate things. And I thought he was kind of a jerk, even though he was made out to be a nice guy. And I found that a little irritating. And this kind of character seems to be in every one of Hamilton's books. But I did like uh, Sid. I thought Sid was really cool. I thought Constantine was perhaps a little too good to be true, but, of course, he, he kind of saves the day in the end, so that was a good thing. Oh, and you know the rich guy with the harem? He did that in uh, Pandora Star, Judas Unchained with Nigel and his harem, and, you know, and th th that kind of got, oh, boy. I, 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 he did that in this book also. That was a, one of those minor things that I was going to mention where he, you know, all the rich people have to have 
you know, these doll girls. And at least Sid had the decency to say that he hoped his never his daughter never grew up to be like the girls that he went when he saw Augustine with these play toys on his arm, you know, these girls. And, uh, you know, he said, I hope my daughter never grows up to be like that. But he's got to put them in every book, it seems, just about. That's what I meant when I said in the on the list, I said, um, I hate all his sex scenes. I mean, there, I, I, you know, I understand some of them, but not, like you said, the whole harem deal and the whole Ian guy. It's just, oh, come on, dude. I have a question. One thing, and I'm, I'm, one thing I didn't understand, or I didn't, I don't know if I missed it, or if he left the thread hanging. In the very beginning, when the novel start, first started, it mentioned that Sid had come back from having been disciplined. He was apparently temporarily relieved from his from his post. Did it ever say why? Nope, I never heard it. I was wondering about that, and they referred to it several times throughout the book, but they never explained it that i can recall didn't they say that he'd done a favor for the augustines and got caught at it i vaguely remember something about that in there yes i believe that's exactly what happened um it was a very brief mention but i believe that's what happened yep that was it he did a favor for the norths and uh you're forever in our debt or whatever Okay, I missed it somehow. Yeah, but one thing happened really close to the end that really, I don't know if it was a misprint or what, but uh, at the very end when Sid asks, and this doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, Sid asks Clayton who the North was who was murdered, and he said it was Abner, and that the alien took Abner's place. But we know that's not true because it was Aldred, the other guy, the security, the chief of security, whose shoes they had bugged. And when they found his shoes, they found the monster. And he even mentioned it, that it must have been Aldred's body. But Clayton said it was Abner. I don't know if it was a misprint or, you know, if, if the guy was lying to him. But it doesn't make sense that he would be lying to him. So it was a little bit strange that that kind of would get through. Um, you know, as a misprint, but it was, um, and I did a little Google searching today to see if I could find out, and I couldn't find anything about misprint Abner Great North Road or anything like that, so I don't know uh, what happened there. You know what it could be too, Evan, is sometimes narrators, because I don't know if you've ever done this, but I sometimes, if I can, will, will uh, not all the time, but just for the heck of it, I'll, I'll read along in Braille. And listen to the narration. I've not done that for years, but I've done that before. And I've actually heard a narrator say a different name for a different name. And I think he did that, actually, um, on another, oh, I can't, I think it was, he meant to say Angela and he said something else. And so it, it could have been the narrator pronouncing the wrong name, too. I guess, like I said, I don't like the whole Ian scene, and I'm with you, Sherry, but the only thing is, I think the whole Ian and Tallulah scene should have been taken out if he was going to die, because I really think, for a romance thing, I think that Ian would have gotten 
basically right by Tallulah, because he was really in love with her, I think. I think he was just in love with her for now. Six months down the road, he would have gotten bored and found somebody else or cheated on her. Another another thing which I wondered was really necessary, that whole thing with, what was his name, Jezusiah or whatever, uh, and then that those people that were getting Saul to provide material for them to blow up uh, one of the planes. I didn't see that really had anything that much to do with the, with the general plot. I was wondering, you know, what people think of that. Uh, first, two things. First, that was not, uh, the narrator didn't get the name wrong. I checked the publisher quality version from Bookshare. That's how I found that little preview of Hamilton's next book that I mentioned on the list. Uh, it does say Abner in the publisher quality version. So, uh, Mark Delgado did read it correctly. Um, the second thing is that was that Zebediah was an av- was the avatar of uh, Saint Libra, the first one who kind of went rogue. That um, um, the one that Constantine captured was talking about, and so he um, he was defending the planet in his own way. Uh, so he was trying to get. You know, he engineered that plane crash and had Saul help with it because he was trying to, you know, do what terrorists do generally, and that's to make it too uh, difficult for them to keep living there and to keep uh, mining or keep producing the bio oil. So it was part of the plot. But but then he reverted back to his original, you know, alien form when he started knocking off the people one by one using those blades and everything. And he sort of abandoned the Jezusiah character, and the other helper sort of just dropped out and disappeared. So it was just that one act of the plane, and then after that. And the other thing also, he, he was he was just attacking that their well. Okay, now I remember that attacking their expedition only because they had that weapon which he was afraid of. That that virus was going to would, would wipe out all life on the planet. I guess that's the reason. I guess he was picking on them. But you would have thought if he was going to use uh, terroristic tr- uh, tactics, he would have done more of blowing up things than just that one one individual thing with a plane. Well, I think, you know, people were complaining. Well, you mean you heard people complaining the book was too long already. I mean, he could have put more incidents in, but that would have made it just even longer. So I think he, you know, he put one in to kind of illustrate the point of what they were up to. Uh, and, of course, it had to do with Saul because he... He kind of made, you know, he had to get Saul involved and show, you know, and that was his way of, um, you know, going into the flashback, you know, showing that Saul had, you know, done this kind of thing before and gotten involved in stuff that he really didn't want to be involved in. And, you know, so um, so it had a kind of a double purpose, I think. It had, it uh, showed and, you know, Saul was just a great guy, you know, he's really. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I think he, he couldn't show too many of those because, you know, was, the book was long enough for more than long enough for some people. I thought it was just great. Um, I, Hamilton is one of those guys that I think really can tell a long tale and do it really well. Um, as the review I put in the Newswire said, you know, it could have been half as long, but, you know, from somebody else writing it, but it would have only been half as good. Um, I think that... Uh I think you're right. He, he, I'm amazed at how well he did that book. Uh, but I do think there are some weaknesses in that uh, part about where you're, you're talking about. 
um, the whole last maybe tenth of the book, I thought, had a sort of, um, I don't know exactly how you would call it, that sort of what they call a deus ex machina quality to it. So it's sort of like miracle occurs here and everything works out okay. And um, I think that that probably is an aspect of him not wanting to make the book even longer. I didn't even think about that till you mentioned it just now. But I think that is maybe the problem that uh, caused him to do that. Because he's so good at the plotting. I, I, you know, it, it was really kind of surprising to me that I thought it really turned weak at the very end. The, the other question I had, you know, Saul had done such a really horrible thing. And, you know, keeps harping on it about it his previous life and, you know, this wife ever found out that he did this. It made it something that was really bad, and yet, what did he actually do? He just helped end up, I guess, in the uh, in, in stealing the money from the Norse? I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, he helped get the weaponry. He helped get the, the uh, chemicals that Jangela had that were uh, helped her put together the weaponry that, uh, uh, that she wanted, and I'm not really sure why she wanted it, since uh, she wasn't expecting a monster to be there. Um, but, uh, you know, and obviously uh, protecting her identity, and, um, you know, he was good at doing secret uh, things with software, apparently, and stuff, which is why he uh, they came back to him to build that part, you know, of the contraption that destroyed the plane. Um, he's able to cover his traces, and that's why he was able to confess to the police without leaving a trace. Um, but, um, yeah, he, uh, I mean, he, he didn't put in a lot of details, but he did, you know, Angela met him to get the weapons. She bought, you know, he bought the cufflinks that she uh, needed to put the bio trace on Barkley to North and stuff like that. So, yeah, he... He did help her out with some stuff that he, you know, thought was kind of distasteful, especially since they were married. He um, apparently was involved in some kind of a a terrorist act um, that went wrong. Um, they were expecting a shipment of food, and instead it turned out to be a trainload of passengers coming through one of the gates. Uh, at least I vaguely remember something like that happening um, or much earlier in the book. And I may be hallucinating. I don't know. I think that incident happened in Pandora's Star where somebody accidentally blew up a train. I could be wrong. Um, I think Saul, too, felt at one point he said he felt just guilty that Angela had to become one of the harem just to accomplish this. And he just seemed to find that distasteful and that he sort of felt like he had a part in setting that up in order to make everything happen, too. Um, another relationship I really liked was Vance, the leader of the group on St. Libra, and Angela. I mean, they really came to trust each other, even though they initially despised each other. I, I thought that was really well written, and it was a nice touch that he didn't have them have sex, which is pretty unusual for Hamilton. Yeah, but if you're correct, and I, I'm sure you are, he's kind of toned it down a little bit from, uh, and you could correct me if I'm wrong here, but he toned it down a bit from the Night's Dawn trilogy if what you said on the list is is anything to go by, which is fortunate because, um, you know, I um, I don't want to read that. But, yeah, uh, Marshall, you're thinking of Adam Elvin from uh, Pandora Star. He was the one who who um, did the um, 
the the grain shipment and then he blew up the train instead. Um, I also thought that that he spent a lot of time with the police work in Newcastle, and I'm not sure. You know, that to me was a bit drawn out. They spent so much time trying to, you know, putting that virtual theater and all that stuff. On the other hand, I found it very interesting how he reproduced. You know, he used the Northern England accent, and I thought that reader was very good the way he was able to um, reproduce that accent. I wonder how that would have come across reading it in Braille or or having it read from you know by a screen reader from Bookshare. I have to say, I loved the technology, the the virtual theater. I loved Angela's weapon. I love um, oh, what was her name? Um, Madeline Rivka, I think that was her name. Um, that's kind of funny. That's the same name as another book we were reading, I think. Um, I loved her weaponry too. I liked his. I like his science um, stuff. I like the technology that he has. I enjoy that too. And um, as a person who's been a computer programmer all my life, the simulations and stuff I thought were really fascinating and beautifully done. Well, and I like the ending. I kind of go for that uh, sense of wonder, kind of far-out type of thing. You know, these entities. I was wondering what he was going to do with the Xanth, though. Um, I don't know. He may pick up that thread. Uh, obviously, they did something with them uh, when when they had that little scene at the end with Angela in 2373 or something, whatever it was. Um, uh, they mentioned something, a Xanth conglomerate ship of some kind so they must have come to terms or conquered or or done something with them but uh, I liked that scene of the Xanth it was a little uncomfortable but you know it's um, kind of like uh, what Q said about um, when he took the star when he took the uh, enterprise to meet the Borg um, I'm I don't remember what he said exactly but you know um, space is not necessarily a cozy place. It's not a place for, you know, people who, you know, who want everything to be cozy and, you know, they're going to be people out there or aliens who are just, you know, bad or just incomprehensible or or just utterly strange. And um, and Hamilton has got that, you know, he got that with the Xanth and, you know, and I, I thought, you know, the tra- you know when they were traveling across the Xanth world and stuff very near the beginning, I thought that was a great part of the book. And then, you know, these avatars coming from St. Libra, this highly evolved race, you know. Oh, man, you know, I, I like that kind of stuff. And Hamilton is, uh, you know, Hamilton is really good at that. I'm looking forward to this new um, trilogy he's going to be coming out with, or two, is it duology or trilogy? I forget. Um that uh, is coming out in October, the first one, and um, I just, I mean, this guy is really good at this kind of stuff. I think I may have misrepresented what um, what I what I intended to say um, a while ago. It, it's not the ending, exactly, of the book that I had the problem with. The problem that I had was when the entity first reveals himself as, as the monster, it ends up being the sort of... Um, avatar of that world and then it basically is like I'm so mean blah 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 oh but wait you don't really mean to be mean to me so never mind that was the that 
that was the weakness that I felt was in the book. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean, Deb. It seemed like at that point in the book he was just wanting to wrap things up. Yeah, exactly. Well, he was certainly, the, the um, Anthony was certainly justifying why he was killing everyone because they were despoiling his world, you know, the, putting in those all those algae things and completely, you know, messing it up just like human beings tend to do. So he, yeah, I think I thought he had some good arguments as to justify why he had been acting as he did. We might want to let our newbie speak, um, Bob or Dave. I was just thinking that he didn't kill any of the settlers. He only went after the expedition, and I didn't, I didn't like the way he dragged that out. He actually went after the participants because they had that weapon. That's why, that's why they were thinking it was Angela. Because um, it, they only went to the Wukang, or however you pronounce that, camp. And the reason was was because they knew, or they felt somehow, that they had that weapon. To, and that weapon was the destruction. Now, the other thing, since, they, since he was the guardian of the, of the planet, had cared for all those plants, and then he had all that snow... That stuff must have ruined all those plants. You wonder why he would have done, you know, gone to such an extreme and how much difficult it would be for him to put the planet back the way it was before after all that freezing weather had destroyed so much of the vegetation. Well, remember, just before the sunspots came, all these plants spored, and they put all these seeds out into the air. And remember, people were getting allergies and stuff because it was just getting all over creation. So after the earth, after St. Libra would thaw, all these plants would just start blooming again because they put out so much. See, it was all planned. He knew it was coming, and he gave the plants a chance. Well, he, well, that's not the right way to say He created the seeding process by, you know, because he was part of it. He was, you know, um, and so all those plants would just be regrowing after the uh, thaw because they, you know, they put all the all these seeds and they would just grow back again. So I don't think there would be too much ruination, really, because uh, the old plants may die, but they, they would have seeds. Um, and those trees certainly didn't die, those whip trees that killed a few people, that he used a few people to kill. Um, but uh, all those seeds would just grow after the thaw. They would, you know, they would be back in business pretty quick, I would think. Um, does anybody know if there really is any truth to the thing about um, that star really turning red uh, sometimes? Um, I don't think I've ever heard anything about that, but then I'm no great astronomer either. You mean the um, redshift? Yes. I don't know. Um, that's an interesting question. I thought that was such a particularly fascinating idea that, uh, um, that a star could do that. I, and I just wonder if that's based in science. I would love to know. I probably ought to look it up and see if I can find anything about it. I think as star, stars cool, they change colors. So it would go to red as it cooled. Yeah, exactly. That's what, it, And that's what happened there. The, when the sunspots occurred, it cooled things off. And that's what caused there to be such a drastic shift in the planet's atmosphere. But I just wonder if there are stars out there that they really do observe that and it all i mean and the way he wrote it it sounded so utterly plausible that there really is something like that 
that has been observed over the centuries. Well, yeah, but Sirius is the wrong kind of star to be turning into a red giant. I've never heard of it, and I'm going to have to Google it. Um, Because they they made it sound like it was really hypothetical that there was, you know, no modern, no one in modern times has observed it. Um, I wonder if it could have been Sirius's companion that maybe turned into a red giant, but I wouldn't think so. I don't. I'm, well, who knows? I mean, that's the whole point. I don't think we really. Um, it, since it happened, I, I believe that they said that it happened like maybe a thousand years ago, something like that. It was a long time. Um, and some kind of cycle like that, that's a thousand years, is going to make it where here on Earth we haven't got very much record of it. No, it wasn't about a, it wasn't a red giant. It was because it had cooled off so much that it turned red uh, because it's, I think it's whiter normally. It's a hot star. Um, and uh, it turned red because there were so many sunspots that it had cooled off, which is why the planet cooled off. And this was supposedly observed uh, by Chinese astronomers or something a couple thousand years ago. I, I didn't think to check it. We just finished the book yesterday, and I hadn't thought about checking it. But that's one of those things that could easily be checked, you know, and maybe that gave him an, an opening to, you know, employ that in this book. I don't know. I haven't, hadn't checked on that. But um, uh, that's why it turned red, though. It was because it cooled off so much. Yeah, that was my understanding, too. And the thing that just blew me away is either, A, he's a brilliant thinker-up of weird things, or he is a brilliant researcher that knows about that, one or the other. Well, a possible explanation is that Sirius is some kind of long-period variable that really does turn red over every few thousand years or so. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. What do you guys think about, and they didn't really explain it, or maybe they did, and I just don't get it because I don't have a sense of smell. Um, The alien had a mint smell. Could it be because of he was the creator of plants and stuff? I'm glad you mentioned that. I'd forgotten about that, and I was on my list of things to mention too. They never, I never saw an explanation for that either, Leila. Nope, I don't recall any. Uh, that's as good an explanation as I as I know of. Um, maybe he smelled like mint because the guy he was impersonating had mint on at the time. I don't know, uh, but he wouldn't have been impersonating anybody, would he? Uh, I don't know. I, I'm grasping here at straws. I have no idea. Why he smelled like mint? Uh, he they, he kind of left that go. <laughs> um, something that just dawned on me is that I wonder if that was a little bit of foreshadowing to say, "Hey, this guy really isn't all bad." I mean, you know, mint is such a nice, pleasant, clean smell, and so here's this thing that's so evil and bad and cuts people up, but it smells like mint. Minty fresh. That's kind of scary. Sounds like something Halloween-y. <laughs> yeah, that does. That, <laughs> Maybe that's how the plants communicated? Yeah, I like that. Well, should we start thinking about our next book? 
Before we go there, I had a quick question. Did, has anybody read, I noticed on Bookshare there's some books of Peter F. Hamilton's short stories, which is kind of hard to believe he would write short stories, but apparently he did. I was wondering if anybody's read those. And I can uh, definitely, I mean, if people love him, they might want to try Night, the Night's Dawn trilogy, but I read about maybe 50 hours. I think there's three large books, and uh, I I found it really not very good at all. I mean, almost everyone that you like in the whole story dies in a really gruesome, brutal way that's described in detail. And he has a character that's a hero that's sort of like Ian on steroids, um, who I didn't, I found that very tiresome too, but, uh, you know, maybe other people would like it. But I think if you haven't read the um, Commonwealth Saga or the Void Trilogy, those are much, much, much better. Peter Hamilton has some short stories? Hmm. They're only 15 hours long. Yeah, you're probably right. I can't tell the length on Bookshare. Yeah, and he's got another trilogy, too. I don't know, uh, the Greg Mandel trilogy. I think that's more, I, I, I think it's science fiction, but I think it's a detective. He likes the mystery science fiction uh, blending. He did that in Pandora Star and Judas Unchained, as well as as Great North Road, and uh, he did it in, I think, the a Quantum Murder is one of the names of one of the um, books in the Greg Mandel trilogy. I think he wrote those before the Night's Dawn trilogy. I think those are kind of normal-sized books, but I don't know for sure. Uh, but so he's he's uh, written quite a lot of stuff, and uh, I swear, I, I thought he was wrote on his blog, and it's been a few years. He said he was going to write a shorter book for young people, but I don't ever think I don't think he ever did it. I think he's I think he likes doing these big, long, sprawling novels because you know he. I mean, he's really good at it, and and he's got a lot of following now. And I think he, you know, he really likes doing them. So I think he's just going to keep doing it. As I said, the the next book is only six hundred and forty pages in hardcover, so it may not be quite as long as Pandora Star, but um, it's still going to be pretty chunky. Hi, everybody. Lizzie's here. Um, I guess I wanted to tell you a little bit about what I thought about the book and. I'll have to listen to the recording to see what all of you thought. Um, I really enjoyed it, but there were times that I was slogging. I thought that the rich people were so decadent. It was, it was kind of hard to like those people with the had parties that went on for days at a time. They were so shallow. And then we thought that that Angela was just kind of a spoiled girl who you know wanted her creature comforts back or she wanted revenge on the people who had ruined her father it is sad that he you know killed himself rather than try to carve out some kind of future for himself he left her kind of in the lurch at um i thought that the long journey i love survival books where people are you know like in ships or they're in the arctic or somewhere and they're trying to or they've had a plane crash but i want them to live through it and i my my biggest criticism of the book i believe was that we didn't need to see the graphic deaths of so many of those people that were um in the in the the exploratory team um and it was interesting that they were that the monster was following them not because of Angela but because they were carrying that weapon um, and when I wrote to the list and said that I guessed who the murderer was and it, I guessed that it was Zachariah or Zebediah, Zebediah. Um, 
but they they did have me confused about that there was one on earth you know how could he be in all those places but i i thought it was a great um i thought it could have been shorter i'm not as totally you know enamored of hamilton as evan is but i'm glad that i read the book i i i was just a little worn out by the the suffering and the dying part but um I love the resolution, and um, that's mainly it. Well, should we nominate some books? Well, I brought up a few of them on the list, so I don't know if anybody would be interested in any of them. So either one of the Magipore books or Crucible of Time, and I was also thinking about some of the Dirk Gently novels um, by Adams, who wrote the... Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. There are two Dirk Gently novels. One of them is uh, be kind of it might be pretty good for Halloween actually, because he's got ghosts in there and he's got fantasy elements and science fiction elements, and it's just it's just totally crazy. Um, but that was an idea that I got. I don't know if anybody's read any of those. Um, I do have the radio dramas for some of those. So if I, I if we don't read them, I might just put. The Dirk Gently radio drama is up on, on the list so people can, you know, explore them because they're pretty good. The BBC did them, and, and they're just, they're interesting. But I was thinking of either one of the Magipore books or um, The Crucible of Time by John Brunner, except the Bookshare audio didn't do a good job with that. It cut off the first couple of words of each paragraph, so... <laughs> Anyway, just throwing the ideas out for, for whatever. What are the Magic Poor books about? I, I really don't know anything about them. Sorry, I missed some of this. Um, I just stepped back. They're about a planet called Magipur, which is absolutely huge. And there are different races living on this planet. And um, the first book is kind of more of a travelogue than anything else. But they have, it has a distinctive culture. It has um, leaders who have a certain degree of telepathy who control dreams um, that people have that are supposed to be prophetic or reveal something. And um, there's the, the native inhabitants who can change their shape and change their form. And they're angry because all these other races took over the planet and in the first book and I think also in the last book which is the seventh book in the series they try to take over the mountain where the um, leaders and the it's, it's, um, the leaders and the Lord Valentine who is the I forget the term now of what he is but anyway the mountain is special it's got the castle and everything and and the metamorphs try to take over and gain some power and all that. But it's just a whole universe. It's quite interesting if you get into it. Some people thought it dragged out quite a bit because it's a huge planet. Isn't it the pontiff? And, oh, yeah, my favorite parts were the dreams. I wanted to mention two books that were recommended to me. Uh, I think Maria Campbell mentioned one on the list called The Incorporated Man. She liked it very much. And then another person I know read a book called 2312. I don't know if anyone's read or heard of that book, both of which are on Bard. 
I started the Incorporated Man, and it was just had too much business speak in it. Um, I got sick of all the business junk because I was doing that for 30 years, and I just said, oh, please, <laughs> I don't want any more of that. So I didn't get too far with it, but I did try to read it. I've got 2312 here, uh, Ken Stanley Robinson. I'm not a huge fan of his, I swear. I've read quite a bit of his stuff in Asimov's and some of the Mars stuff he did, and for some reason I just can't really get into him that much. But I've got the book here, and I've been meaning to start it, but I haven't started it yet, so I suppose I, I could start it. Uh, I don't really remember much about what it's about, but there's a city on Mercury that goes around the planet because, you know, Mercury turns, you know, uh, real slowly. So the city keeps partly, in, you know, out of the full sunlight, but not in the dark. Um, I swear I've seen that concept done before somewhere. Um, and there's someone uh, who comes in from Neptune or Saturn. I don't know if it uh, involves a murder or what it involves. I'll have to look it up. Um, that sounds good to me. Um, I'm interested in that, or I might be interested in the John Brunner book if it's not too sad. Which John Brunner? I forgot. I remember the author. I know the name, but I forgot what the book. It's The Crucible of Time, and and uh, don't know that I'd call it sad. It has a good ending. Um, it's about a race of, well, I guess they might have started out as insects, but they're they're going through different epochs and different civilizations on their planet because the planet's going through part of a galaxy where there's a lot of dust and debris and strange stuff and radiation and the planet's climate changes all the time. And they finally decide they're going to have to escape the planet and become a space um, traveling race. And... Uh, the book goes through all these different epics and different civilizations, and at the end of each civilization, there is a few scientists who try to hold on to what they know, and then the next civilization comes up, and eventually they do um, end up um, growing and becoming more advanced. And The book was written, it was published in about 1983 or 84, so... Um, it was before a lot of what we've got now, but that's generally what it's about. Is it very long? When I read the, uh, when I got the audio version from Bookshare, it was about 13 hours, 13 hours and 50-something minutes, so no, it wasn't that long. Is it on Bard or just Bookshare? It's on Bard and Braille, and it's on Bookshare, but as I said, when I got the audio version from it, the Daisy Audio, who it, the audio, for some reason, it didn't get the first couple of words of each paragraph. And so if you're going to read it from Bookshare, you'd probably be better getting the a version that your your regular um, audio device, like your Victor Stream or Hymns device, would be able to read. It would be a synthetic voice, which uh, is not the best way to read some of this stuff. But if you can read Braille, it might be better because some of the the words are spelled differently, and people's names are unusual, and place names are unusual. So there's a lot of spelling in there um, that's interesting. 
Well, don't forget to put in a quality report. Bookshare does take those seriously. I've put in a few, and uh, they do follow up on them. So, uh, yeah, if you've experienced that, it's unlikely to be just you. So, uh, yeah, just take a minute or two to fill out that quality report and describe the problem, and they will follow up on it. They take those very seriously. Um, so, yeah, try to remember to do that. Was it just in the audio, Mary, or do you think it would have been in the regular DAISY download also? I think it, w it was just the audio because I was reading it in Braille from Bookshare, and it looked fine. So probably the regular DAISY audio or the DAISY download would be okay. At least I, I would hope so. Um, the other books I mentioned are all on Bard, the Magipore books. And um, I know 2312 is on Bard, in Bard. In fact, I could look that up. I'm on Bard right now if you want to know uh, what 2312 is. I would probably vote against the Bookshare book that is has a problem just because I don't want to listen to a big, long book in text. I know people love Bookshare. I've, I'm starting to get used to it, but uh, I'm not quite there yet. In spite of Evan's less than enthusiastic recommendation of 2312, I actually thought that one sounded pretty interesting. I was thinking the same thing of 2312. Now, um, um, Crucible of Time, it's not in audio format on Bard, Mary. And uh, Bob, do you, do you have any suggestions, or are you okay with, with the books we're kind of throwing out here? Well, I read 2312, and I enjoyed it. I was going to recommend a book called My, uh, excuse me, uh, what was it The Martian by Weir. Uh, I really enjoyed that. What was that one about? It was um, sort of a survival story about a first Mars landing. And it's available on Bard. I read that one, and I mentioned it a couple of months ago. And I, I really liked that book. That was just a... I love that book, but Evan is tired of Mars, so <laughs> we haven't read that one yet, but I love that book. Lucy says she's not tired of Mars yet. No, that, so. that book by Weir sounds really good, and so does 2312. Okay, here's what 2312 says. Now, this may be a bit fast for some of you, but just... Oh, I can't do it while the control key's down. I can't uh, play the thing. Um, it's on my book sense. I can play the dust jacket info if people want to hear it. The problem is... Um, not a problem, but I saw a lot of mixed reviews on Amazon because uh, they complained that he put in so much detail. It's like he put in all the research he ever did on asteroids and on Mercury and everything. And it just, you know, people thought, I mean, if you thought Hamilton, well, though, actually, this book isn't, this book isn't as long as Hamilton. But the guy obviously knows a lot about a lot of things, and he seems to want to put it all in his book. But... Um, but I'd like to try it. Um, let me go um, read the, what the NLS says, and I can tell you it's something about an investigation of something, but I'll have to go read it. Mary, did you say you were there? I'm there, but I'd probably have trouble trying to read it in Braille, although I don't know. Let me... Whoops. No, I don't think I can read it in Braille, because I have to... I'm holding down the control key with one hand and trying to move and it doesn't move with the other hand and it doesn't work. 
I think you can hit control L and it locks the control key down and then you can hit control L to unlock it when you're done talking. It's either control L or alt L. My thoughts exactly. I can hear a notepad, but I don't know if I can if you'll be able to hear it. My computer volume isn't that great. Um, let me see. Oops. So basically, it's about this woman who wants to find out if her grandmother's death was based on natural causes, and they want to find out what this guy was doing, what what his research was about. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have my book sense with me, so I can't play the dust jacket info, which would be more enlightening. But, um, darn it, I'd have to go get it. I say let's read The Martian. Well, we people want to read The Martian? Is, are we getting a consensus forming about this book? Yeah, I agree. Right, let's go with The Martian. We could always do 2312 next time or some other book besides that. So, yeah, um, I've already downloaded it, too. That's a good thing. <laughs> Is that the exact title, The Martian? Yes, it is, and I've got it up on my screen, except I have to move to it to give you the book number and the information and all that. Well, Lissy votes for The Martian, too, so I'm going to throw a tantrum. That sounds very science fiction Oh, it sounds boring. <laughs> but I'll read it with you. We'll read it together. I can't wait. And you can try to keep me awake, Okay. <laughs> Just punch me in the ribs every so often to keep me going. Okay, guys, I think we're reaching a consensus here on the Martian. Sounds like we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Mary just can take a nap. And I'm really glad to see some new people. <laughs> yeah, here. we got some new people. Yay. David was here. He left early, but David actually we were corresponding via email for a while. We were talking about the sparrow and some other stuff, and uh, so I'm glad he was able to get. But he didn't say a word. I hope. he may not have had a mic. You never know what people, you know, why people aren't talking. Um, but um, anyway, um, let me get the author and stuff on this, and then I'll wrap up the recording. Well, while you're reading this, Evan, just every time they say Mars, just substitute a different planet name, and that'll make you feel better. It's 12 hours, 45 minutes, and J.P. Linton is a reader, he, a narrator. He's just absolutely wonderful with this book. And uh, I, as I said, I loved it. It's one of my keepers for this year. Book number is DB78389. And who's the author? Andy, A-N-D-Y is his first name. Weir, W-E-I-R is his last name. Okay, so our next meeting is going to be on October 9th, 2014. Gee, I almost said 2312. Um, October 9th, uh, and we will do The Martian by Andy Weir. Suggested, suggested by, by Bob. Suggested by Bob. 